Hello and welcome to Built Environment Matters, a monthly podcast brought to you by Bride and Wood, an international company of technologists, designers, architects, engineers and analysts working for a better built environment. Bride and Wood believe in design to value, to cut carbon, drive efficiency, save time, make beautiful places and build a better future. Hello there and welcome to this episode of Built Environment Matters, the Brydenwood podcast. I'm Jamie Johnston, Head of Global Systems, and this time I'm joined by Jackie Glass, who's Professor of Construction Management at University College London. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Jamie. How are you? Yeah, very good. It's great to see you again. I think you are one of the last people I saw professionally before lockdown. I think I saw you at Future Build in 2020, February Feels like a long time ago, doesn't it? It was a very long time ago. <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be yeah. We'll catch up on um, what you've been doing in the meantime. Uh, but first, perhaps uh, for those who aren't aware of your work, perhaps you can describe your current role and a bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm an academic. I work at University College London. I'm in the Bartlett Faculty of the Built Environment, which I think most of our listeners would probably have heard of. Um, Now, the interesting thing about the role that I have, of course, is academic roles are all jolly interesting and fulfilling. But the nature of construction, of course, means that I have the opportunity to engage in lots of fascinating and interesting conversations with industry as part of our research. Um, So, you you know, Jamie, my background is actually in construction products and sustainability, actually, going back many years um, from when I did my PhD in concrete. And uh, not everybody can say that, to be fair. (laughs) But, you know, I've gone through research on sustainability, off-site construction. And only the other day I was thinking back to, it was over 20 years ago when I wrote a report for what was then DETR on uh, essentially off-site construction for housing. So I guess I've been in this sort of um, transformation of construction space for quite a long time now. So I didn't know that. That's interesting. Uh, How many of the recommendations you made are still current or how many of the actions that you said we should do are still still haven't been done from that from that report? Well, it's interesting because we we in that report we looked at we looked around Europe actually at different examples of house building construction, and you know some of the technologies that we're seeing on site in the UK today really do mirror some of the technologies that we were seeing then in in places like Scandinavia and Germany. So I think there has been a gradual take up in the housing market, in particular. But of course, you know my work nowadays. Um, also covers lots of other building types as well. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So, so I was going to ask you. Talk, you you've moved between industry, government, government bodies, academia. Um, you've probably seen more, or you've looked at this through more lenses than lots of other people, and you've probably got a greater understanding of the kind of the ways that people are looking through this. Perhaps you can sort of talk about that and how those things, particularly, you know, over the last few years, I've had more intersection between maybe government and private sector and academia so how those things are starting to intersect where they intersect and whether there's more of an overlap now than maybe there used to be or not well where to start with that one fascinating Um, yes it's a slightly long-winded question but (laughs) um no it's a but it's a very fair question um you know one of the one of the real uh highlights, I suppose, in the career that I've had is that uh, the work I've been doing has been very close to industry. 
Um, I've never been anybody, you know, I've never been an academic who is sort of um, only looking at books and only looking at theory. I've always try to sort of step between what does the theory tell us and what is actually happening in the real world and how can we how can we help one another so if you, if you think about you know my entire career has been based on that sort of ethos is the conversation between practice policy and scholarly work if you like now uh, a few years ago i was uh, well, what a wonderful opportunity to lead the Transforming Construction Network Plus um, as part of the, uh, you know, industrial strategy investments in our sector. Um, and one of the nice things about it was this very clear ambition to bring academic voices into the con transforming construction space to accompany industry on its journey. And so in leading that program, which we're coming towards a close now, actually, um, one of the things that we've been super interested in is exactly how do we curate and support those con conversations between universities and industry so that they both benefit. And it, this is a constant challenge for us because we work in different ways, we think in different ways. And you're absolutely right, Jamie, when you talk about looking at construction through different, you know, through different lenses, through different perspectives, and it's very important. Um, it's interesting, you know, my original degree was architecture, of course, but then my PhD went more towards construction. I worked in civil engineering departments. And actually, one of the things we often talk about is this appreciation um, that one needs to have of the different vocabularies at work in the industry, the different agendas. And so really, you do need this kind of multidisciplinary um, foundation to actually be able to start having these sort of conversations between different groups. Um, so where we are right now with our research is that we can, I think, be a little bit more challenging and a little bit more constructive in the way that we're hosting those conversations. Yeah, do you see, I want to come back to the um, the language thing, actually, because, yeah, I often find that the semantics sort of get in the way of the of, of the meaning. It, is there, what's the, it's probably a very hard question to answer, the lag time, I guess, between a sort of something happening in academia and it then starting to be adopted in industry and then becoming a sort of a, a normal thing. So you've probably got a better sense of that than anyone else I know, but given that you've, you know, you've been in this world for a long time, as you say, you, you know, you wrote a thing on housing 20 years ago, you must be able to see what, you know, the, the implications. Are we getting quicker at doing it as well? Are we starting to get a, you know, a less of a lag time between, you know, academia discovering something and it making a meaningful impact in industry? I think it's it's not quite as simple as this kind of chronological story. You know, we often think about academia and uh, universities as these sort of closed scholarly halls where these amazing inventions come. So they sort of pop out and then industry is supposed to take them up. Um, vast number of subjects. It just doesn't work that way. So we talk about engaged scholarship. The idea that actually all along the journey, all the way, you can have academics and industrialists working together and talking together. The really key thing here is to agree the aims and understand the differences from the outset. If you then can work together on a path, you're more likely to achieve, I think, larger ambitions, actually. And it's so interesting if you look at, for example, the tier one contractors right now. 
and look at the different ways that they in, uh, engage with R&D. Look at the different ways um, in which they're exploiting or not the R&D tax credit scheme. And I think that gives you a little bit of a sense of the attitudes towards academics as a potential collaborator. And one of the things we've produced recently from the Transforming Construction Network Plus is a short digest to try to help people, if you like, on both sides of the fence. I don't like to think of it as a fence, but you know what I mean. Um, to think of, to try to have those people understand one another a little bit more effectively so that we can have conversations about industry's needs, which are often short term and academics ambitions, which are actually often much longer term. It's not easy, but it can be done. Yeah. Liz, we often end up on this podcast talking about um, looking outside of construction at other sectors. Is, is, there, is this sort of uh, relationship between academia and industry, is it, I always assume it's a lot richer in you know, aerospace, automotive and things, but I, I don't know that for a fact. I don't know whether you've got any experience of that and whether construction's getting the hang of a thing which other industries do well, which would, again, in my head, sort of be a sort of a... Uh, green shoot of something that might grow that, you know, we're, we're late to the party, but we're starting to get the hang of some of these things. Well, I think we can learn things from other sectors. And I think there's been a lot of positive motivation to do so. Um, do you know, from my perspective, though, it, it's kind of a flawed argument because the way in which government in the UK particularly supports the different sectors and perceives the different sectors is so vastly different that the funding and the institutional structures which underpin our different sectors is so different that construction simply can't play um, on fair terms, if you like, with something like aerospace and manufacturing, we're just not considered by government in the same light. And that's not to say we haven't got policymakers who are extremely supportive of the, of the sector, who absolutely understand the GDP contribution of the sector, but structurally and investment-wise, this is why people were so excited about the Transforming Construction Challenge, because as I've explained to other people before, we have been extremely short of direct R&D investment for our sector for a long time. So the challenge coming along was a really big step forward and a recognition, which is why we need to make the most of it, I think. Yeah, I remember um, talking to someone about when, when this first came up. Um, my, again, I don't know this because it's not my area of expertise. My understanding was even though construction's massive compared to automotive and aerospace, it gets a tiny amount of attention because we're so <laughs> fragmented and we don't speak with one voice, whereas automotive and other manufacturing, they're very, very uh, collaborative at a certain level. They kind of work together. They speak with one voice. They go to government and say, I want X billion pounds of funding to solve this problem, whether it's you know batteries or you know, wings or whatever it is. We'll do these things. We'll propagate them. Then we'll start to compete on how to, to um, implement them. And so because they're much more consistent and joined up, they have a much more direct relationship. Whereas construction, there is no, you know, as you know better than anyone, no single voice. And yeah, I remember saying to someone, this is our shot. This is our chance to join the top table and ask for money in a particular way, use it well, demonstrate the benefits. And if we did that well, actually, that will be the start of, you know, potentially ongoing funding into these things. But we need to demonstrate the first one goes uh, particularly well 
before we can go back and ask the second one. So that really, uh, yeah, neatly leads on to the. I was going to ask you about transforming construction network plus. If you can explain uh, that for anyone who hasn't come across it and the sorts of things that you've been looking at and the sorts of uh, things that are coming out of that piece of work, because there's some really interesting stuff that you've been you've been up to over the last couple of years now, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, we started in 2018, and you know one of the things that we've been really committed to is ensuring that the academic community is best responding to where the industry, well, wants to go, but importantly, needs to go in its uh, in its development and transformation. So I think we've been a, a bit of a broker in that respect, in trying to also help the academic community to understand, respond, and be doing appropriate sort of research to help. Um, so we've been doing quite a lot of workshops. We've funded small projects in universities around the UK. And we're getting to the point now where what we're trying to do is articulate their findings for business. And it's actually quite wide ranging. And that speaks to the purpose of the Transforming Construction Challenge anyway, because it covers digital aspects, um, energy, manufacturing, construction methodology, etc. So all of our small projects, all of our researchers have all been working on aspects of this. And they're going on and doing more work, collaborative work with other uh, parties now, working in healthcare, working in housing. So it, it's we wanted it. To be honest, Jamie, we wanted it to be a sort of a catalyst for change, um, and I think um, I think it's fair to say we're, we we've made some progress. Um, I'm really excited from the projects we've been doing around uh, digital twin. Um, we've been doing some really interesting work around what you might call prototypes for change, I suppose, within businesses. Um, we've been looking very closely at business models. So I think what we'll gradually be doing over the next, I would say, sort of six months to a year is gradually releasing that information out through various channels um, and very we're obviously very happy to help people to engage with it, to talk through the implications, et cetera. But I, I guess I'd want to be clear that, you know, there's no one panacea. These are all, uh, if you like, you know, stimuli to think about your firm, think about your business, wherever you are in the construction sector, wherever you are in the supply chain or the value chain, however, we love semantics, don't we? <laughs> however you wish to position and locate yourself within the sector, um, I think you'll find that in the Network Plus outcomes that you'll be seeing in the next year, there's something for most firms, actually. So how many projects have there been in total and how many how did you select them and how many how many did you turn down Oh well we funded 13 and we had a little core piece of research that we did ourselves so I guess you could call it 14 um we had 100 applications um a huge number of people stepped forward wanting to work in this space and actually we knew we couldn't support everybody we just didn't have the budget for it but we've had workshops we've had direct contact with people who weren't successful to help them to go on and find funding in other places as well yeah it's fantastic and you covered you said you covered sort of all aspects from business models to digital twins can you sort of what's the what's the full breadth of does it cover the entire sort of uh, not quite ecosystem of the of a say project lifecycle, but it covers a, whole, a vast range of things. Perhaps you can sort of explain where all the pockets are that you've looked at. Yeah, I, I don't think it was ever possible for us to cover everything. So what we were looking for in the projects was uh, was almost, if you like, the um, the pinch points, the pressure points, the be the 
pieces with their greatest potential. And of course, the wildcard projects where we thought, wow, this has come completely as a curveball. It's got huge potential. Um, and actually, so, you know, just to give you a little flavor of that, we have one project looking at cooperative ways of building. One project which is looking at um, something slightly more conventional, perhaps sort of active energy systems for buildings and building group, groups of buildings. Um, we've got one which is actually really trying to understand the challenges of the, you know, advance their manufacturing capabilities. What are the challenges that small business faces? And, you know, that small business has have been on our minds throughout this because it's terribly easy with a big national program of funding that you only think about the big firms, you only liaise with the big firms and those voices that are well known. And actually, we want to we we've really supported a number of projects um, which were aimed at small businesses and local innovation, regional innovation. Um, you know, one of the really interesting projects for me was one based in Scotland around different forms of uh, housing and manufacturing for housing. And the other one, which is really interesting as a sort of a, an integrating project, you might call it, was, uh, uh, you, you might be surprised when I say this, car parking. Actually, we have a lot of car park structures in the UK. We expect there to be more electric vehicles. We have people who want to access Wi-Fi and access local services through their phones. You know, car parks are a huge structure. Um, how can we use that? parking, car parking in a much more integrated and digitally enabled way. That's probably not what you're expecting me to say today. <laughs> yeah, no, so that is, is that one of the wildcard projects? Because it's one of those, you can imagine getting the bid and going, all right, um, well, let's have a look. And then you open it and go, that's really good. This is really yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's, we, yeah uh, we had that, oh, hang on moment. <laughs> this uh, this actually is super interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's the, what's the outcome of that? Or, or is it too soon to tell us what, what the kind of the impact that looks like? Or where, where does that one go? Because that, that, that does sound fascinating, actually. All of our projects are just coming to a close right now. So what we're gradually doing is helping the them to get their messages out. And that particular project um, is being supported by the British Parking Association. Um, and we actually, we've, um, we were able to release a small uh, film through the B1M. Um, yep. about that particular project. Um, so there's a resource there to give people a, a little bit more of a flavour. And I know the the project team are very committed to taking the work forward. I'm going to have to Google that now. I didn't even know there was a British Parking Association. There we go. <laughs> I've learned something. Yeah, the, the, the SME one sounds uh, particularly interesting. Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this again on the on the podcast, the sort of the long tail of construction that actually a vast amount of the, the supply chain is very SME, it's very regional. How do you start to um, uh, engage them with everything that's happening? You're going, yeah, it's one of my particular interests around the sort of stuff we're doing on platforms is saying, well, how can we gear these things to lower the barrier of entry to tap into existing supply chains, existing capabilities? How do we make sure that we, we bring those people that you don't need a sort of, you know, 100 million pound investment in a manufacturing facility to play in this space? So, yeah, that sounds really positive, actually, that things like that are starting to um, to occur. Is there anything else you can say about that? Or again, we have to wait for the, um, the sort of findings to, to come out. Well, that one, uh, that project has, has already got a report uh, live on their website. So it was undertaken by the University of Reading. Um, and so they have a, a project a project report, uh, which is available through the Network Plus website, but also on the University of Reading's webpage. Uh, okay. 
I shall have to look at that. That's fascinating. Very good. Yeah, perhaps you can explain. One thing I was intrigued by is how you develop these projects while the surrounding sort of context is changing, maybe if that's a way of explaining it. So obviously the, the hub is finding things and publishing things as they're going, and presumably that's sort of potentially influencing what you do. So maybe you can talk a bit about how TCN Plus relates to the hub where the touch points are and, and how you start to, to inform things the hub's doing or vice versa and how all that kind of all sits together because obviously it's all part of the wider transforming construction challenge piece. Mm. Well, you know, one of the issues with a huge programme like the Transforming Construction Challenge and the hub in itself, the Construction Innovation Hub, is that there's so much to it. So you have to be actually quite careful and try to make sure that the links are, you know, sensible and productive um, and useful all the way around. So uh, Tom Beach uh, was funded through one of our projects. Uh, uh, He's based at University of Cardiff and he's made a really he he already had a a community of scholars very interested in um, uh, let's call it digital compliance checking. Um, and he uh, undertook a project with us. We look, linked him up with the hub. And actually now the hub is supporting some work going forward uh, that Tom is leading on, which is fantastic. Um, we've also made connections with the Active Building Centre. Um, and of course, you know, one of the issues with this is when you design a big R&D programme, imagine you're a policymaker, you have to sort of imagine who will be involved with it, what issues there will be undertaking, you know, projects they'll be undertaking, which issues they'll be considering. But you don't really know until all those investments are underway where the synergies are going to be. And that's that's a perennial challenge when you're designing big research programs. Um, so actually what I think is happening is we're, we're making connections as we're going along. Um, we've certainly, um, there's some work that I'm involved in, one of the projects that I'm involved in outside of the Network Plus is also part of the challenge and is much more on the robotics side and the automation side. So we've actually made a lot of connections with tier one contractors, but also the manufacturing technology centre. So it's actually it's quite a rich and well quite complicated network of of so many different stakeholders who are supporting all these projects. So for me it's almost a daily concern and of making connections and just it, oh well yeah x could be very interested and supportive of y etc I, I just think it goes on all the time jamie actually it's it's not i wouldn't describe it as structured and organized it's actually it's a lot more organic than that um and that i suppose that's the excitement of it too yeah that was that answers the question I, I i've never seen a sort of organogram of how all these things link maybe it's because no one knows quite how they link and maybe it, yeah it's a sort of network that's got a sort of uh organic life its own yeah, that's interesting. Are there any um, are there any of the projects that were obviously set in motion before COVID that when COVID came along, you went, oh, I've got an answer to some of those questions or that suddenly became particularly uh, pertinent? Because there's been quite a few things that, you know, we have, for instance, that you know, some of the things we were doing around robotics or automation on site, we were doing for productivity, but then suddenly sites need fewer people socially distanced and we're going, ha-ha. That's an interesting use case. Is there anything else? Is there anything like that that that's sort of come out of the work that you've been doing, or that's suddenly taken a a different, uh, you know, been seen a different light with the the you know, changing context around it? Well, I guess there's two responses to this. I mean, on the one hand, I have to say enormous amount. Uh, you know, I have an enormous amount of respect for all of the academics and researchers that we funded through this program, who 
were told that they had their funding and they were very excited. And within a very short amount of time, were locked down under the pandemic and had to redesign their entire research programs. But they did it. And that has been a genuine challenge across the entire university sector. So I think it's important to recognise that. But the agility and the motivation, the perseverance of the research community is is just incredible. The one specific uh, actual example I'd give to you um, is a project that's led by Grant Mills. Um, and he's one of my colleagues in UCL. We funded Grant's project, um, which is uh, with Cranfield and Loughborough. And we we um, we funded them in the first round from the Network Plus. And what Grant wanted to look at was the connection between operating theatres in hospitals and how we create those. And here's the interesting. He wanted to look at the spacecraft industry, because if you think about the modules of a spacecraft, and I'm talking in lay terms because I'm not a spacecraft engineer. <laughs> um, but if you think about the modules of a spacecraft, they are definitely created off-site. They definitely have ventilation issues, one might say. But actually, then if we look at the clean room environment of an operating theatre, well, actually, here's a very interesting sectoral comparison. So Grant's research then was Move, had moved along quite a long way before the pandemic hit. And actually, it was at that point that the idea um, of hospital development and hospital construction processes, you know, needing to look much more at off-site construction, lead, needing to look much more about standardisation and moving to scale of production. So the work that he had been doing was incredibly timely and has gone on to influence further work with, um, I think, Moorfields Hospital, actually. Yeah, my colleague Stephen Tilkin was part of that uh, process. Actually, he input into that, and yeah, having he was input, inputting some of the learnings we had from um, work with Circle Health and some of the stuff we're doing on platforms. Yes, I'd forgotten actually, or I hadn't made the connection until you mentioned it. I went, oh yeah, of course we, we had it. Yeah, it was a fantastic piece of work. I remember there was a little video of as well explaining how it worked, didn't it? It was really good. Again, that's worth a Google if anyone wants to wants to find out more about that. So that's the end of part one of my discussion with Professor Jackie Glass. Please join us next time when we'll continue the conversation. Thank you for listening to Built Environment Matters, a podcast brought to you by Bryden Wood. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcast, and you can follow Bryden Wood on LinkedIn and Twitter.